I've gone through phases. I've I've gone through phases of that where I've like been like, oh, I just need to grind twenty four seven, and then it ends up like I'll exponentially make like shitload of money, and then I'll hit a plateau where I'm just like, oh, I hate my life, and then I'll just go. <laughs> then I'll be depressed, then I'll be depressed and anxious, fall, not do shit for like two months, and it's like, oh, I need to go crazy again. Ooh. Yep. Like, not good. Dude, that's crazy because I've I've had that same thought recently too. A lot where I feel like I'm just on like big ups and downs. Just I'm bad about it, that. Is I'm oh, like, it's so bad. Extremely productive, and then I'm like, just like, oh, I can't. I don't want to do anything. I'm extremely productive. That is the good thing about like my school and stuff is that it makes me just go there every day, and I have classes spread out throughout the day, so I have to be there, have to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but some days are definitely easier than others. But welcome back, everybody, to Gen Z Diaries podcast with your host, Cade Franks. Um, today, we have a special guest, one of my good buddies, Cole Shoemaker. Um, Cole, I'm having you on because of your hunting background, your hunting expertise, uh, how dope you are. Um, I don't know. What, do you, what, what else would you like to say about yourself? I'll just let you give yourself the introduction. I am I am quite possibly the worst person when it comes to talking about myself. <laughs> I literally can't. I can, I can talk all day long about anything, but if you like want me to just talk about myself. And all right. Well, I can give myself. a background if you'd like me to, which can kind of, and you can kind of like fill in points that I mess up or something. Okay. So, all right. So it all started. I went to Fort Hayes. Um, I met Cole on the baseball team my freshman year, his sophomore year. Cole had an inf an infamous party house at our college (laughs) which we can get into later but anyways i have a hunting background i come from family that hunts that is that i was raised around firearms everything so whenever i got to kansas a little backstory my dad grew up in hayes kansas which is where i went to school and where cole is from And uh, so my dad was always like, try to find somebody to take you pheasant hunting or quail hunting because my dad had done that a ton in his life. And he's like, it's really, it's really good out there compared to Missouri. So just try to find like a friend, obviously, but somebody that you can do that with because it's something that I think you would enjoy. And then, so I started talking to Cole and then come to find out, you know, you have like an acre or two of land. Um, that we yeah. could hunt on with some birds on it, mm-hmm. <laughs> with some birds on it, and I'm like, wow, perfect. I like this dude. We have fun hanging out. We go shoot birds. Um, I got a bird dog. You had you still have rookie, I'm assuming. Um, yeah. and yeah, our our friendship just kind of developed around baseball for that year, and then after that, hunting and just hanging out and yeah. everything. So shagging sessions in the outfield. Yeah. Nothing attention whatsoever to practice yeah and you guys talking shit to me while i'm hitting in bp <laughs> just yanking home runs 40 feet foul <laughs> to left field <laughs> but it was over the fence oh no it was, was a good time that was just a po standard just giving you guys crap and freshman it wasn't yeah. as bad as we, we made way more fun of taylor oh yeah for sure for sure he was just he uh, unfortunately he was just the easier target of us all and i mean remember there's only three of you that year too there was only three of us so you couldn't really pick yeah yeah it wasn't like distributed between nine or ten freshmen it was literally just three of you guys yeah yeah 
man. And we okay. talked, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I was thinking today about just some of the crazy hunts that we've had. And I just couldn't help but reconsider the Buckeye patch. Oh. They mowed the whole thing. Oh, man. The Buckeye patch was what? How many acres was it? Was it was a 240. Yeah, it was two forty. It was just it was a quarter with a with another another eighty stacked on the east side. Yeah, and, and so kind of like rotated. They mowed a different eighty every year, so there would always be like one hundred sixty acres of grass, and then it bumped up to another like quarter of grass that we couldn't hunt, but just kind of added to all that cover. Yeah. So the cool thing about this patch for everybody, this patch when I say patch, uh, this tract of land, like he said. Um, what what do you say? Two hundred and sixty acres. It was two hundred forty acres, which is two hundred forty acres, and then an okay, extra eighty acre track tacked onto the side. So I was driving home one day from your cabin, and I'm driving, and I see like probably ten to fifteen pheasants running across the road, and I was like, okay, damn, let's let's stop. So I get on the maps, and I'm like, who owns this track of land? I'm pretty sure I sent you a. Uh, text or something too with my location maybe and you got on maybe on x or something and come to find out uh we figure out the guy's name and i'm like screw it i'm just gonna call him i'm gonna take a chance because a good hunting spot for with birds is just it's just a good time yeah, like that, that part of kansas like now is so just with modern farming practices and stuff there's never like consistently a ton of birds everywhere yeah you look at a patch and be like oh there should be a hundred pheasants in there and walk it and kick up like one bird and you'll be like oh, why is there no pheasants in there and yeah then walk up the patch like that buckeye patch and then they'll be like oh my god there's birds everywhere. <laughs> so like, yeah it's wild it's wild but this guy i called this guy and come to find out he had worked for my cousin's dad for excavating D D and uh or m and d sorry and then so we get permission on the patch. And then, like you said, we walked in and it's just birds everywhere. Birds everywhere. Yeah. I think that first time we walk, walk it, was there like snow on the ground too? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That patch was gnarly it, when there's a little bit of snow on the ground. I'm talking, guys, I'm talking about a what, 15, 20 minute, four to five guy limit. Yeah. Like how many first, did we have? We I don't had think we ever walked, I don't think we ever hunted that patch in two years and did not shoot a limit no matter how many guys we had. So there's sometimes we walked in, we had like three guys. So we would shoot 12 birds. Then there was a couple of times, I think that first time we walked it, it was like, it was at least five guys. I know we walked out of there with 20 plus pheasants. I think, I think it, was it was you, Delzite, me, my dad, and Chance. I think it was five of us. And then Delzite left halfway through because the grass was so tall and, and the, the snow, snow was yeah. so thick. And, and he was like, screw it, I'll take my limit and I'll just go back and be done. And then me, you, my dad, and Chance continued hunting and just and it was one of those patches too where the birds always like, nobody else could hunt it and the cover was yeah. so premier. Perfect. That it, like allowed for such good dog work because the birds would just sit so tight. So it was kind of, it wasn't like one of those patches where you're walking and then randomly a pheasant gets up and you have to kind of be quick and shoot it. Yeah. You knew every time a rooster was about to get up because it dogs would just get it like damn near catch the bird. So, yeah, I mean, you basically, kick. It was like a like a farm hunt almost, like in terms of how well the birds sat. 
It was well, and a large part of that is because no one had hunted it for so long. So those birds yeah, were very low just, pressure. Yeah, low pressure, not a lot of foot traffic at all. Extremely, basically, not extremely, extremely good like habitat too paired with Perfect. that. And then even, even the two hundred forty acres that we could hunt, then there was another quarter to half section next to it that was just as good of cover that never got to get hunted either. So I mean, yeah, pheasant they don't know that per se. So you're hunting a lot of birds and a lot of tame birds. A so lot yeah, of birds in there every single time. Yeah. So also just like background, people who don't know pheasant hunting, quail hunting, that is bird hunting. Um, we do it with dogs. I have a pointing dog, an English setter. Cole has a chocolate lab, which is a flushing dog. Mine's a pointing dog. Um, yeah, rookie doesn't, he doesn't point. He, he ain't about that. He's he ain't about that life. He ain't about that he, life. But I just thought I'd explain that. that to people because I mean, yeah. if you if you're not around it, you just don't know. Yeah, it's a pretty small cohort of people that upland bird hunt. What uh, what? So, did you guys always have land, or was like since you were born? Did did you always have that opportunity to go out on your land? Oh yeah, I mean, it's definitely different now than it was when I was little, little. But I mean, when I was a kid, I have enough familial ties to agriculture and farming on both sides of the family that there's just a lot of relation that owns a lot of ground in that part of the state. It's always had a lot of access. Um, we didn't really ever own ground when I was a kid. We just had access to a lot of it. And just slowly as I've been getting older and then obviously got into the business too, my parents started buying ground and we started leasing ground collectively. So, I mean, we have farms that we own, we have farms that we lease and we have farms that we just have exclusive permission on. And then we have farms that, you know, anybody in their sister could call the landowner and get permission on, but don't just because it's out there in that part of the state. And you just kind of got to know that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we always predominantly though, like more deer hunting background and bird hunting was just kind of like the, Oh, Hey, we're done. Deer Side hunting. gig. Other than my, a lot of that was because my dad had, he grew up with Brittany's. My grandpa bred Britney's so they were big into bird hunting growing up and then he got a chocolate lab named Buddy when I was a little kid that was like a big time bloodline chocolate lab like he wanted a pheasants forever banquet everything and that's he trained that dog like every day and that thing was insane and that was when bird populations in Kansas were also nuts like early 2000s basically where he would go out and shoot a limit of birds every single day with that dog like every day after work would go out and shoot, you know, himself or yeah. two, three buddies. They were literally, I bet, I mean, there was hundreds of birds shot over that dog every single year. And then some stuff happened and he ended up having to give it away because it, he wasn't an aggressive dog, but he got in a fight with another dog while hunting. And it kind of just changed him a little bit. Like he was way edgier yeah. after that. And then our neighbor like was hugging him at the house one day and he growled. And then she hugged him again and he bit her on the wrist and like bit the crap out of her. And my dad always just said like second, one of my dogs does that. I'm getting rid of it. Dude, that's what's th it would have never bit one of us, but it was just because it was a stranger hugging him, but he got rid of it. And then after that, dude, my dad, like, I bet he has bird hunted 10 times since then. And that was in like 2005. That's so strange because my dad, his entire life has been around a lot of bird dogs um a lot of guys who raised bird dogs as well 
And he has even talked about like certain instances where a dog gets it, like you said, attacked by another dog while they're hunting and something about it just throws yeah, those dogs off. It like takes a little bit of like their puppy dog innocence away. Like it, it's like a bad association with a thing they're supposed to love. Yeah. Well, it, I guess what kind of happened too is like the other dog was real aggressive and like my dad had to break it up and stuff and my dad got bit by the other dog while he was taking it apart and like it, not yeah. that big of a deal, but it just, like I say, I mean, it, that just like kind of ruined bird hunting for my dad. Yeah. And at that same time, bird population started declining too. So like my dad was, that, was, was that due to the drought and stuff or what was drought, modern farming practices, a yeah. lot of that stuff. There's a lot that goes into it. Pesticides, herbicides, no till mm. farming, till farming. Like it's, there's just a lot of stuff that goes into bird populations now. Um, late nineties, early two thousands was like the pinnacle of pheasant hunting in central Kansas. Like my dad, you, you could have like that buckeye patch that we we're talking about every good patch of native cover like that you could yeah I, I literally remember going and just walking with my dad on opening day with like the big group that would always come back opening weekend there'd be 15 20 guys and they would limit out before lunch so do the math on that like 15 times four that's how many roosters they were shooting in like four to five patches yeah that's crazy <laughs> that's yeah. that's unheard of i mean so he had like this distorted perception of what pheasant hunting is so then now you know it's better now than it was during that drought but I mean, when I was in high school and we were in college, there'd be a lot of patches you would walk and you'd, you know, one to two roosters, you know, and you'd, you would walk your butt off some days and not kill that many birds where my dad was used to walk in one patch and, you know, they'd kill a three man limit. Yeah. We would make that many birds in a whole day. That's what's so upsetting about Missouri is that Missouri has just been on a downhill climb for that all, that all goes past 34, yeah, 30, 40 years in now they're starting to do sort of a similar program to, to Kansas's WIA program. It's called the Missouri Outdoor Recreational Access Program. And it's just like a three-year grant where from like the 2014 Farm Bill, and they can only accept up to 10,000 acres. So it's not really hmm. significant. Whereas like the WIA in Kansas, which is like, what is it? Walk-in hunting access? Walk-in hunting, walk hunting area. Um, area that's just, that's just public then you know the state just basically leases the acreage out for you know depending on what it is probably used for for a certain period of the year that gives public access yeah not a lot of money um no but they started it in 1995 so you know missouri's very very late to the game does missouri have crp programs so that's something I should probably know, but I'm they not do. Missouri, so. I th I believe they do. I believe they do. I don't know what it's under. Well, that's a federal. But... That's a federal thing, anyway. So I'm assuming it is in every state. I know it's in Nebraska. I mean, it's a federal thing, so I'm sure they do. I just don't know how like common it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you get out in central western Kansas. There's just as much CRP as there is tillable farm ground for the most part. Up until you know, in the last couple years, like this year when you have right. a drought. When we have a severe drought year like we did this year and grass as a commodity, all that gets cut. I mean, yeah, and that's, that's one of the main reasons why bird populations are never sustained out here anymore. Is you mow you mow a half section of CRP grass, where are the birds going? You know, away or they're that. I mean, you know, that takes away all your nesting habitat, all your all your uh, predator. You know, keeps them away from predators.
pheasants predominantly are like fence row nesters, so they yeah. need like thick woolly cover along property lines, basically. Same with quail, yeah. Modern fence, just herbicides, pesticides. You don't have the big, nasty, gnarly fence lines like, like you used to. One of the main things is like modern wheat um, varieties. They're shorter than what they used to be in like mm. the 90s, early 2000s. So they're more tolerant to like wind, snow, all that. It just makes them yield better. But what that does is, you know, instead of farmers going and leaving two foot tall wheat stubble, you're going and you're leaving like six inches of wheat stubble. And that all just plays into, you do that on a massive scale of how many acres in Kansas are planted to wheat every year. That's a massive effect on pheasant. Yeah, because and then you go in, pheasant and quail love to run under that stuff and use it as cover over the give, top. I mean, you look at some of the best patches we hunted by the cabin. It was the patches that old man Tomashak farmed and he still farmed like it was the 1960s. So it was all tall wheat stubble that never got sprayed you know, never saw any per pesticide herbicide. So it would just be big, weedy, nasty, gnarly wheat stubble yeah. fields. That's where all your birds were. Yeah. That's why we kill a lot of birds in those patches. And then you go next door to a wheat stubble field that's been nuked with pesticides and herbicides. What do you know? No birds. Yeah. The issue when you drive around Missouri too is like, it, it's very, I don't know. It's very hilly. Like you can see, you can see for long like long, um, you have a long, very long range of view whenever you're driving. So like you can see across the landscape pretty well. And a lot of the land is just green pasture land for cows and stuff. You know, like yeah, everything's cut so small. There, it's yeah, just, crazy, crazy there's no, there's no crops. Um, there's no wood. There's not as much woodland cover anymore. It's like, like you said, everything's just kind of stripped bare and nothing can, can't really do anything about it. There's, you have to get some sort of grass, some sort of cover, some sort of food source. But in Missouri, where there's so few birds, it's like, where do you start? Oh, well, that's all hab habitat implementation there. Im implementation, there's got to be large trash to ground that are just basically left untouched or managed for predominantly nesting habitat. That's like the main yeah. thing with whale is like thermal and nesting habitat. Um, you get guys going in the days of like the thick fence row hedgerows in Missouri are pretty well gone. And that's why you have the substantial amounts of, you know, decline in or quail population. So you're never going to have a lot of pheasants in most of Missouri other than no, the, like the no. regions that are flatter with more native grass stands. Because pheasants have to have large tracts of native grass without timber. So, I mean, like yeah. if you truly want a phenomenal pheasant hunting farm you got to go in and kill you got to knock down every perch that a hawk can sit on and that's that seems so counterintuitive from like a hunter's standpoint but that's also my that's my like deer and turkey hunting bias is like oh i don't ever want to cut down a tree in central kansas because there's so yeah. few. <laughs> you want there to be a bunch of pheasants you don't want a single spot for a hawk to sit that sucker's going to sit there all day and the second he sees a rooster which and comparatively speaking in kansas sticks out like a sore thumb yeah, it does. Smoked. For sure. Well, it's the opposite, though. That's why our quail population boomed from, like, 2015 on is after that drought. We had so much dead timber and cover and shrubby cover that died and then got collected on fence lines and stuff and plumped, you know, just plump thickets and ditches. Quail had yeah. so much cover out here. That's why when you first got to Fort Hayes, we were going out and shooting three, four, five-man limits to quail every single day. Yeah, we were. No joke. No lie, we were shooting. There's so much. There's so much cover. Man, 
At, I mean, at a certain point, I this is this is going to sound outrageous, but we stopped counting after twenty coveys after pushing twenty oh, yeah. coveys in the day. At that at that like prime point, which it's still really good. Like that part of Kansas is still as good as it gets for Bob White quail hunting. But like that was like that like four or three like when I was in high school and like two or three years you were at yeah. eight. That was like the pinnacle of quail hunting in central Kansas. It was if you pushed less than two or three cubbies uh a walk, which a walk, say like an eighty acre quarter section, it was like not that good of a patch. Yeah. There were some patches you would shoot a whole box of shells shooting quail. Dude, it like, was crazy. And it, it's so <laughs> coincidental. I think I I think I brought the birds back to Kansas, to be honest. I brought it was I took like the, that the whole time. I took it the, like I the, took the quail from Missouri school, and put them in Kansas. That's all I did in high school too, dude. It was just, yeah. just driving So that was when rookie I wanna... was prime though. So I mean when rookie was and it goes back to my dad. It's like now that rookie's blind and not really able to hunt that much. Yeah. Dude, I, I've lost the to go go get them but when rookie was in his prime like late high school and then college i bird hunted every single day yeah yeah i feel you man i feel you i want to get into like your deer hunting stuff um what's a what's a good what's a good starting point do you think or i mean i can just aspect of it you want to talk about well i mean we've already kind of touched on how you can you know you grew up you grew up with uh you grew up with land. You had access to hunting and stuff. Um, you mentioned how your family was more of a deer hunting family and, you know, bird hunting was kind of like a side gig. So I guess uh, we'll just we'll just kick off from there. So your family is big into deer hunting. Um, obviously, like I've seen I've seen pictures of your dad and uh, your grandpa as well which is he's, he's got like a really unique, cool story too. So I guess you can just, I'll just let you take it from there, sort of where that all built up. How it got started and where we're at today. Um, yeah. One of my favorite like points of interest to like draw onto that whole like evolution. It's like where our cabin sits and that farm that it sits on is a full section. Um, we bought the first quarter in 2015 when i was a senior in high school bought the next quarter next quarter next quarter basically to add on to what it is today but that farm itself is where i shot my first deer when i was five years old so like way back in the day yeah and that's also the same farm where my dad started hunting and my grandpa hunted it way back when they first opened deer hunting in like the 70s and 80s so it's like my family's deer hunting started on that same farm that we now own and have our cabin and do predominantly our hunting. And that's the farm I hunted all year this year, you know, in today's, you know, today I have access to probably close to 50,000 acres in Kansas to deer hunt Yikes. of that I probably lease like 10 to 15,000 and we own around like three to 4,000. Holy shit, dude. Um, not all those are like that's just top, top of the right. line farms. Like, I would say like, like the cabin that farm's legit. Like we've had that forever, so it's been managed. There's very few farms in that part of Kansas that have been managed for deer hunting for more than like four or five years. That's a relatively new concept in Kansas, especially West Central Kansas. It's like managing a farm for deer hunting. Why don't Why don't you explain that? What that is, real quick. It's like. A farm can be utilized in so many different ways, like income, farm ground, pasture, grass, whatever. It's like the main purpose of that property and the way it's handled 
is to grow big white tail deer. Like, yeah. And that, that's so you're thing. talking, you're that's talking, very, yeah. And that, that goes to different levels too. It's like what I consider a big white tail deer and what somebody else does is completely different, but there's very specific things that you do to a farm that makes it good. Um, right. And that's a new, that's not a new thing in most of this country, Northern Missouri, Southern Iowa, Eastern Kansas, like damn near every farm is managed for whitetail hunting. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. That's where the money's at now. Um, so what do you think, for, what do you think the most important things in management of your property are to maximize success for whitetails? Where, where I'm at in North central Western Kansas is cover because it's just not, that's not, that's a rare commodity where we're at. Like Eastern Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, where covers everywhere, it's probably more food and pressure. But where we're at, it's all cover. Like there's just not that much of it. So if you can maximize the amount of cover, you maximize the amount of deer yeah. that you can. Because there's food everywhere. Like out here, you can't throw a rock without landing on a 640 acre track of Milo. Like there's no shortage of food out here. It's the only thing that we lack is water and cover. So like where the cabin sits, full section. River bottom, hills, gnarly canyons, plenty of food. But the main thing that we did to make it amazing is there hasn't been a cow on it. The grass is managed for like specifically to have a healthy native grass stand. We plant a ton of shelter belts, windbreaks. It's just every inch of that farm that we can put cover into, we put cover into because we don't need to worry about food. There's plenty of food. We don't have to do anything about food. So the more and more cover we can add to it, the more and more deer we can hold. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what made your family decide to start doing that? What made your dad decide to really go down that route? It's just fun, man. Like I don't, I, I know he's just yeah. always passionate about deer hunting just cause my grandpa was, and it was just always a family thing. I mean, like I said, I shot my first deer when I was five on that same farm. I was, I was sitting in a tree stand by myself by the time I was 12. So it's just, it's hard to explain that, but it's just like what we did, you know, it was just what yeah. we did. And, there's money to be made in it too. It's not like it's just throwing money into oblivion. Like a lot of those farms that we have, we put time and money into dressing it up, making it a good farm, making it quote unquote, a turnkey hunting farm. And then it has more value. The The most lucrative farms out here and anywhere in this country right now are turnkey deer hunting farms. Like if you want to sell a farm for the most money possible, it's going to be a farm that, has good income, but also has big ass white tail deer. It's kind of like a boutique little sector of real estate. Honestly, if you it, think it's about it, it's the, the people. Yeah, it's the people who finally have money and they want land. And it's like, why? You know, they want something already set up. They're willing to pay more money to be able yep. to have that guarantee of a good hunting spot to go to. Because, yep. I mean, it, it, good property, good hunting, hunting land is becoming increasingly hard to come by. Yeah, I mean, it's like the saying everybody said since forever is, you know, if they're not making more of it, if there's one thing you can buy today that they're not making more of, it's land. And even more than that, they're not yeah. making any more land. Like, that's the... And then you get, get into a whole different world where the tag turnkey, you have to be careful in the day because a lot of stuff, you can make a farm look like it's a good hunting farm, but it's not, you know, that's and that's yeah. why you want to work with somebody that knows their crap and actually kills big deer. Go ahead and go ahead and go ahead and shout out the the real estate. Oh yeah, if you're gonna if you want to shop or list or sell farm with somebody, <laughs> who does, uh, deer hunting. Uh, 
<laughs> Cole's, Cole's your guy. Mid, what is it? Midwest Land Group? Midwest Land Group serving all of Midwest, 11 states. I'm just in Kansas, though. But it's we got very guys. successful so far, though. And honestly, yeah, shout out to you. Like, I would, I would definitely go through you because you know what you're talking about. You know what good deer hunting you, land looks like. You got to prove the process. And that's the main reason I got into it, too, is like, there's a lot of farms that get sold to people who think they're buying a really jam up deer hunting farm. I can tell you from experience hunting the farm, you know, before I got into it, it was like, ah, dude, you're not going to kill a yeah. 130 deer on that, like yeah. ever. Yeah. But because it was you know, made to look like it could be. So there was like, that's, right. that's part of the market. That's one of the reasons I got into it was to give honest, knowledgeable rep representation of land from a perspective of somebody who's been extremely successful and immersed in hunting and conservation and property management their whole life. Cause there's a lot of guys in this yeah. business that frankly, like don't kill big deer, don't kill a lot of birds, don't own land that they For manage. Sure. Like how can you sell a hunting farm that you're promoting as like, con like managed with conservation mind with that produce big deer, all this like native cover. How can you promote that? If you don't, know what you're talking yeah, about yeah yeah exactly if you've never if, if you've you never own, yeah that's one of my biggest disconnects is like okay if you don't own a hunting farm that you manage for big deer and kill big deer on it how can you speak from knowledge and experience and that's that's one of the reasons i got into it is i knew i could bring that to the table even though i'm young that's like the biggest disconnect is like man how how do you have that knowledge when you're only you know when i started i was only 22 years old it's like dude i've been doing it since i was like it, this stupid say is like, oh, dude, I've been doing this since I was five. <laughs> like, yeah, and you've been, but it's different. Your, your, I've been doing it since I was five is different than a lot of other people's. Yeah. I've been doing it since it is five well, because you were fully, like, you were fully like, enveloped in the whole process. That's what I would kind of tell people too is like, we were managing our farms for big deer before managing farms for big deer were cool. Like, before that was like a cool thing, like it is today with social media and all that, all the TV shows and stuff. My dad started doing it before it was cool. And he just did it because he liked killing big deer. Like plain and simple. And that's just how I was raised. And I was just raised to a standard in deer hunting. Like like the deer I was killing when I was seven or eight that my dad was putting me on and that I consistently killed today is still like bigger than what 95% of people get to hunt. So like that's a bit of a disconnect at times, but it's also like I have a different A bit. A bit. You think a bit? Which are the, I mean, it's definitely a 200, like, a 209 inch deer. Yeah. I mean, in the last like four or five years, it's gotten to a different level, but that's because it's just like one of those things. Like you just keep your expectation just gets higher. Yeah. So where did your, where did your, uh, where, where, what was your first experience where you're out deer hunting and you finally shoot like a deer in your head that was like, oh shit, like this is, this is a pretty big deer. I mean, Did you ever have every, a moment like that? I mean, when I was a little kid, every deer that came out, like the first four or five years I was hunting, it's like, oh, there's a big buck. I want to shoot it. And my dad's like, all right, don't want to ruin the experience. So I, every one of those seemed big. Um, and then I kind of was killing like 150, 160, 170 inch deer. Which big At deer. what age? Like I shot my first, when I was eight, I killed 174 inch deer with my dad during youth season. When you that was eight. like my first. Nice. That was like my first deer in the 170s. Um, I haven't shot a deer under 170 since. That was like the first 170 inch deer I shot, and I was eight. Damn, dude. Um, like after that, so then I kind of like 
was killing 170 inch like that class of deer for a while and then it would have been and that was kind of like the thing is i kept wanting to get into that next class of deer for a long time like so from the time i was eight until the time i was like basically a freshman in college i was killing a, a ton of 170 to 180 inch deer like every single year i killed a deer somewhere between 170 180 and those are, i mean those are giant deer here but I, it's like every year I wanted to, I wanted to get up there more, but it just like, it just didn't work out. So then once I got into like my freshman year of college, it's like, dude, I'm scouting myself. I'm going to find a giant deer. So I scouted yeah. every single night in the summer, found one, killed my first 200 inch deer my freshman year of college. Okay, perfect. Let's go into that then. Let's go into the scouting stuff. Um, I guess, honestly, I'll just let you, let, let you kind of talk about it, but scouting, I've been with you a couple of times. It's like, you it's go around and you drive around. Yeah. It's different now than it was then. Cause I was in college, like, and it was, we were in Fort Hayes. So it's like, there's not that much to do. And I had all the property that I could hunt. So it was just every day after baseball practice or every day, once I was free, the last two hours of daylight in the summer, I was driving around looking for deer. Like that's it every single day. So, I mean, spent a stupid amount of money on gas, but I knew of, you, you had to have, man. I oh knew of gosh, like man. every buck that was, anywhere that i could hunt basically and obviously yeah. there's and stuff too but at that point like there wasn't cell canes at that point so basically what i would do is i would drive around until i found a buck that i was like okay that thing is big as hell then i'd stick a trail camera in there and keep track of them with trail camera and still summer evening scouting and it was just like kind of a combo thing and then i would kill them early in the season i always killed my deer within the first two weeks of the season open during muzzleloader um and that was that's still the strategy i take today and how i've consistently been i mean my last five deer of aver they average over 200 inches still since i killed that first one um and that's still the same technique i use but i i drive around way less now just because i have a job and i don't have that much time yeah. and to allocate that much money to gas and also i have farms scattered way more and farms that i like manage more where i'm not just looking for deer anywhere i can hunt i'm like growing specific bucks on certain farms and that's more exciting now to me like my perspective has kind of changed like i don't want to just kill a random buck that i find i want to kill like a buck i've watched for three four years on one of my farms so you're so a psychopath deer so then like the, no that's just like <laughs> that's just part of like the science like the science and conservation of it no and it like is implementation of like cell cams has made that a lot easier too or it's like once i find a big deer on one of my farms i don't have to go drive around every night i can just stick a couple cell cams in there and make sure i can check my phone in the evenings and hang out with my fiance and and your deer and go kill one <laughs> so it, it's, it's evolved a little bit but it's still the same concept it's like it's the, the theory property, of the chase all the property i can hunt figure out where the biggest deer are on those properties hone in on them with cameras and then kill them early like and that's yeah. that's just the same technique i've used and it's yeah it's able to do it in that part of the kansas because it's open there's not cover everywhere like i said earlier it's like you just got to find them and once you find them you got a pretty good idea where they're going to be right and when we're talking about like 200 plus inches that's um measuring the antlers on a deer for size yeah, which 200 what would you what would i would say i mean 200 that's is like one percent that's the yeah that's the like less than one percent of one percent of bucks get to be two hundred inches. Like, yeah, it's very, very. 
and I, I, I'm sure there's a statistic out there, but like of all the people who deer hunt in the United States, which is, it's the most popular form of recreation. Everybody, you can whitetail hunt in every state, basically, almost. So like everybody deer hunts. Out of all the people who deer hunt, I would say it's less than one percent of those people have killed even a hundred and eighty inch deer. I would say even I would of, think that's accurate. Yeah. Even out of all the people who deer hunt in Kansas, which is one of the best states for big deer. I would say less than one percent of those people have killed a two hundred inch deer. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what's crazy. What is your your biggest is technically the two hundred nine inch non typical. Yeah, two hundred nine. Um, I killed him kind of late in the year, which was kind of uncharacteristic of me. He had probably fifteen twenty inches busted off too. Like if he wasn't busted off, he'd be in the two thirties. Um, just a crazy deer. And then Wyatt last year killed a kind of a similar scenario where it, it went like two twenty. But he had like 20 inches bust off. It would have been like 240s. Um, His was 220. Yeah, dude, that deer is insane. It has. I, I saw the pictures and I was like. It, it's nuts. Killed last day of the season. It's just one of those. We had we knew about that deer for years and just could never kill him. He's in such a weird place. And he'd always get insane. up so bad. Like, I don't know if he had like low deer, like antler density, but he would be shredded by November every year. Just all of his antlers yeah. be even last year like i said or which would be like two seasons ago now is when he killed him was he still had 20 inches busted off but he was still 220 inches jeez so do you have like a picture on your do you have a picture on your computer or something i'm trying to find a picture on his instagram i mean he should have pictures on his instagram i don't know if i can pull yeah them. but they're uh not necessarily like great pictures. Let me try to, I'll try to screenshot that and send it to my computer. I can, but I mean, it's, it's stupid big. It's crazy. Stupid. When you start getting the class of white tails like that, those like the difference between a 210 and a 220, it's nothing. Well, they look yeah. the same. It's just like, it's just that a stuff big just deer. adds up. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know. That's probably not going to show up very good. Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> I'm pulling it up on. I mean, the thing is, it just had stupid amounts of points, and everything was long, and it was just different. Like the biggest deer I shot, it's all mass. Like it's just yeah, his is all length. Like it's it's crazy, right? Um, honestly, I still to this day my favorite deer that I've shot is that that first 200 inch deer I shot though. So here's what looks like. Can you see that? Yeah, and you can see he busted off that whole G3 on that left side. Where, what like is that? Like, explain that to people. So, like, the from the base of the antler coming out of their head, the first point is called a brow tine or G1. Then the second main point coming off that antler is G2, G3, G4 as you go off. And those are, like, the typical points. So, like, on the left side, you see that big, long point. That's the G2. And that next one that's broken off, that would have been the G3 if it matched up with the other side, which it would have. That deer was super typical. Um, so that's kind of how we know he, how much how many inches he busted off. But yeah, he is really typical. In terms of like whitetails, that's as big as they get. Like that for being typical, that's as that was a seven and a half year old buck. Like they don't get any bigger than that. I mean, that, that deer's nuts. When do you what's the um, for a lot of people don't know anything about this, but you want to let the deer get to a certain age where they're mature, you know, they've lived life. They've sort of reached their full potential. 
Um, when you're looking to hunt a deer, you're looking to pick your deer, A, what are you looking for to find a mature buck? <clears throat> and B, what what classifies even a mature buck? So there's like three things. Like, okay, if you're talking about like getting a deer big, there's three things that like affect antler growth and it's age, nutrition, and stress. Like those are the three things that make a deer big. A deer, it's got to get mature. Maturity, I consider a mature deer five years old or older. Um, just off of generalizations, averages, a deer gets to be as biggest when he's at least five. There's a lot of deer that'll be really big when they're four, but odds are if they're big when they're four, if you wait till they're seven, they're going to be even bigger. That's a tough thing, yeah. though, because there's a lot of things that can kill deer, natural and human. So it's always a risk. Like if you want a deer to be big, it's got to be mature. It's got to have good nutrition and it's got to have low stress. So that all goes into farm management. You have a big track of land that has good cover, good food, and you let them get old and nobody messes with them. You're going to have big deer. That's it's a pretty simple recipe with a lot of there's also there's obviously a lot of things outside of your control. They can get hit by a car. They can get killed by coyotes. They can get sick. Like, and that's why it's always a risk letting a deer get to be mature. But that's, that's also that goes, into, <clears throat> that goes into a whole nother debate. This in today's whitetail hunting world is some people only care about killing old deer. You know, that's and that's that's hard. Like that's what makes bucks hard to kill is age because they get smarter, they get cagier. Or there's guys that just want to kill the biggest deer possible. I kind of fall into like a middle ground where it's like I want to kill the biggest deer, but usually the biggest deer is also the oldest buck or at least older. I mean, a lot of those guys that only care about age, they'll kill the eight, nine, ten year old buck that's way over the hill and doesn't score that high. I want to kill that buck, but that's like five, six, seven years old. That's also two hundred inches, and I don't really want to kill the seven, eight, nine year old buck. The prime time mature yeah. buck that looks good. He's got Not a good, got a good like, coat yeah. on him. Yeah, like just. <clears throat> A nice set of horns on his dome. Yeah, just a nice, nice lad. But that just nice doesn't lad. Like today's whitetail hunting culture. You can dig into it. It's so complex today. Like it is. It's, it's kind of nuts. It is. I'm gonna pull up right. your. I'm gonna pull up. I think this is your two two hundred nine inch deer. Correct. Yep. There's a little sophomore year high yeah. school. What do you? Uh, oh man, beautiful had deer. His eye, he had his eye gouged out. That deer was like. Dude, it, that deer is nuts. He'd been just that deer is every... nuts. Snow on the ground. It's hard to tell from the picture too, but truly how, truly how tall yeah, and wide and his frame actually is in real life. That was, that was before I was good at taking photos. <laughs> that was before I had a DSLR camera. How old are How old are you at that point? Sophomore year. That was my sophomore year of college. So nineteen. Okay. Been... Okay. No, yeah, I would have still been nineteen. Dude, that's wild to shoot that big of a deer at 19. That thing's a beast. I, dude, I'm not going to say for sure, but I, I don't think there's anybody 25 years or younger that's killed multiple 200-inch deer. Like yeah. white tails. And I I mean, I've I've killed several. I want to show you... Oh, what was... This one was ginormous, too. That uh, one went 196. That's such a terrible photo because I was by myself and he died in the middle of Milo Patch. So I had to like prop my camera up on a milo stock and try to get a picture God, he's a giant body though ginormous uh, body for people yeah it's terrible, this, like, terrible photo that that picture does that dude no justice he has 24 scorable points which is like for a deer to have more than 20 scorable points is nuts but that deer goes 196 so like speak at how hard it is to get a deer to be 200 inches like that that's not even a 200 inch deer 
That thing is a beast. What do you think he weighed? I have no idea. That was like an early season deer too. So, I mean, he would have gotten heavier. I'm trying. I should have got the picture of Delzite's beast, but that's what oh, he gets. Yeah, for... That was a 300 pound deer. That was a 300 pound deer. And that's like, that was as, as equally rare as it is for a deer to be 200 inches for a deer to be like 300 pounds in Kansas. It's like, yes, just, just <laughs> but that deer is like nine years old. Just an absolute, like his genetics were just built to be big, bulky. I mean, that deer made Delzite look small, and Delzite's not a small dude. No, not a small dude. But that deer was just, I don't know, the story of it's all insane. Old gray face. You know, he, gray face. Um, you hunt a farm. You can tell him. You can tell, a, tell everybody about this deer. It's kind of a cool story. You hunt a farm long enough, you see genetics, Reeker. I mean, that's just how it is. Gene pool's only so big in, in terms of genetics, genetics recurring, like antlers body size one thing on our main farm that reoccurs all the time is there's just a gene in there that the deer have snow white faces from the time they're young all the way till they're old usually deer don't get like gray in the face until they're older this gene pool for whatever reason they always just have snow white faces so you can tell you can tell them really easily so from the time this deer was like three we started calling him gray face yeah there you go Here old, he is. og gray face started calling him Grayface, and he was literally, we'd never, he was kind of a management buck. He never got big, like real big. He never, he just didn't have the genetics to have a big rack. He had the genetics to have a big yeah. body. And they as you can see, both. I mean, it's not a ginormous rack, but Delzai's a I mean, big boy. He was bigger than that. I mean, that's that's kind of what we were going into is we'd never killed him when he was in his prime because we just had bigger deer to hunt. And we also just, I mean, didn't ever have an opportunity to kill him with somebody who would have been happy with him. So he got over his prime, and I mean, when Delzite killed him there, he was he was at least nine years old. Um, so I mean, it's I mean, he's just the pinnacle of like old boss ran the farm, beat the crap out of every other buck on the farm, and I mean, this is after rut too, so his body's run down a little bit. Like he was bigger than that body wise at probably November because this was yeah. shot in December. Yeah, he was. Um, so I mean, that's. In terms of like an old Kansas gnarly hill buck, that's like the epitome of that. That and what's crazy, that's... what's crazy too is that like the 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 evening that Delzite killed him, it was like the it was just like your typical stereotypical night that like an old cagey buck would come out on. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like thirty age, mile an hour wind, yeah. sleep. You that are this age, rain. bucks that are this age, do not move before dark very often. They're smart. They're cagey. We had like sleet horizontal sleet wind nasty cold we weren't seeing any deer at all and what do you know this deer comes up out of the out of the canyon and that's the only kind of weather you're gonna have a deer late in the season like this on his feet before dark yeah absolutely right, place, right time and like i said at that point we were just kind of wanting to get him dead because he'd been on the farm for so long and he was already kind of going on the downhill and he was beating the crap out of our, our younger bucks and that's just also something you don't really want um so Delzite kind of did his favor and took him out of the, took him off the farm for us. Yeah. Yeah. This was, it's like, it's like, uh, sorry, go ahead. That was, was that your freshman year college? That was, yeah. That was the same year I killed that with, 209. With the gray face. Yeah. I think that was, that was your, I think that year. was, I think that was sophomore at least Delzite posted it in 2018, December, 2018. So that would have been sophomore. Oh, your sophomore year? Yeah, because my first yeah. year was 2016. Yeah. And like I was saying, like 
that's that's one of the things that I, I come from a biology standpoint in school and that's one of the things that i enjoy why i enjoy like managing farms now more than i like just killing random deers like that farm that deer i've seen that deer's genetics reoccur 10 times since he killed that deer i mean there is never a year on our farm where that buck was killed where there's not one or two bucks in every age class that you can be like oh yeah he's he's somewhere down the line comes from that buck that Dell's like killed same rack same snow white face and it pisses off because it's not good genetics like from no, in terms of managing no. big racks not good genetics but it's just cool to see that re you know keep coming down the line the characteristics that's, yeah that's what makes hunting the same farm for 20 <clears> years <throat> super fun you get to just see that this was this was cool for me this was one of those deer sort of for you that you did not want that, yeah yeah, you did not want the genetics being spread into uh, into the rest of the deer around yeah. the area. But the cool thing about this, like, he's just a specimen. He's thicky. Oh yeah, for thicky. Early, like that was probably like big what, body. First week of October, like bow hunt. I mean, that was a five or six year old buck, and you could see like that thing was never going to be a two hundred inch deer. He's in his prime, and he's, I mean, he's sporting a two on the one side. So it's he is, not, yeah. From a management standpoint, that's not a buck you want breeding does. I mean, not a great look, but I mean, he's just never going to be those. There's just deer that aren't ever going to turn into anything crazy. And I mean, there are deer that like, man, you don't think he's going to be anything. And then they just blow up out of nowhere. But like, you can see the foundation for a 200 inch deer, like for a 200 deer to be 200 inch deer. Like when he's three and four years old, you're going to see the foundation for it. And that deer just didn't have it. No, he didn't. He didn't. So I, don't, I don't need to feed him. He doesn't need to breed my does. You can feed some. Feed the Franks. <laughs> oh, so, oh man, what do you, when you're, so you're, let's, let's even go back to just like you scout your deer, you see your deer, um, that you, you decide that you want to try to harvest that year. Then whenever the deer season starts, like what are your, what, what is that process like for you? Are you going out first day? Are you waiting to get a better feel for like, where the deer is at a specific time. Um, this year's been different. The last two years have been different because I started hunting with a bow only. So it kind of ties your hands a little bit of where you can hunt, when you can hunt, you know, wind, it's just a lot tougher. Before I was bow only and I was muzzler hunting, I was getting super aggressive day one, usually killing them in a Milo patch. Like it didn't matter. So that's second, second week Saturday or second week of September. I'm, I'm hunting. And I, I mean, that's, that's how I am now. I'm still hunting every day that I can, but there's some days like you just can't hunt the buck that you want to hunt with a bow. You just can't, you know, you gotta be in a tree. You gotta be in a blind. The wind's gotta be right. The deer's gotta be moving. You're there's times you do more harm than good getting in and bow hunting and access, you know, getting in and out, you're going to spook deer. It's just so much different than hunting with a gun. You can just get away with so much more. Yeah. So that's changed a lot of how I hunt. And that also goes into how that, you know, the farms that I'm managing, it, it goes hand in hand, you know, I can't just bow hunt every farm that I can access. So that also limits what bucks I can hunt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so are you, what was I going to go through? Have you, um, so you, you, a lot of people don't understand maybe, but you, you hunt in like, just deer stands that you set up in the trees. Um, but they don't like you also go through, I, I've been with you where we've cut 
we've cut tree limbs for shooting lanes and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I get, it's just cool. Like how you have like a, like such a detailed intense process, but it also breeds success. So like, and that just goes into like the culture hunting and just growing up in it. There's just like, so there's so much complexity to it and being successful that you just kind of take for granted as like knowledge that you just have that like if you're like just getting into deer hunting and you try to do it on your own without anybody like mentoring you it would be such a trial and error like there's so much and there's still trial and error in it now but like there's so much little details that like you just pick up from years of doing it that i don't even think about like i I wouldn't notice half the stuff that i do that makes me successful deer hunting right i get that i get that have you ever had like a deer with the, where you uh, see it and you just get like a little buck fever or oh dude i still get crazy buck fever to this day like if the day i stop getting buck fever when i see that one buck that i've been watching for years that i'm trying to kill then there's no reason to be doing it anymore like that's the whole whole reason you do it uh, like sure. i was hunting buck all hit stick this year all year and i mean we were filming for like two weeks straight and i think we saw him like four or five sits during that two weeks and never got into bow range, but every single time I saw him, I was basically like shaking, convulsing in the tree stand. It's like, <laughs> that's the great part that. about it though, man. Like yeah, that's, that's why you do it. Yeah. That's why you do it. I remember with you when I, when we went antelope hunting, not to take this in a different direction, but we went antelope hunting. Like I was, I was genuinely shaking like yeah. so I'm bad, funny. so I'm bad, man. Funny. Cause it's like, you're out in Western Kansas. I didn't even know two weeks prior to this that antelope even existed in western kansas and i was like wait there's you can just go do this thing and kill an antelope like in kansas what pronghorns one are like the only thing in their species like they're the only species on the planet that they're not related to anything else that's still in existence like everything else is extinct like they're one out of they're like prehistoric aren't they yeah i mean they're they're old like genetically they're old um it's just super funny because you just get out and just all of a sudden there's no trees and there's antelope and they just stand out in the middle of fields and that's why i do it it's like a fun it's a fun refreshing different kind of hunting than deer hunting yeah it's not it's, i don't put a lot of pressure into it i don't really care how big a one i kill it's just fun it's different um they are impressive because like you said they sit in the middle of the entire field because they have great eyesight crazy so that eyesight. crazy eyesight so they can I, see everything and they're then the if you land mammal other oh. than cheetah in in the united or in the world so they're on yeah the, if they, they spook like no they just run really. yeah they just run and those run circles like it's they're a weird critter <laughs> uh, they're kind of pretty easy to kill with a gun with a bow it's a whole another whole another um ball game but i like well, i remember the time i went with you i mean they were there, some of them were literally spotting us at like 600 yards behind. I was still pretty green at it too. I've gotten substantially better at antelope hunting since then. That was, I mean, that was just like a hey, let's just go try this ever, type of situation. That was only the second year I'd ever done it. Now it's I've gotten a lot more pro- proficient at it. Yeah, that's that's but crazy. I'll, I'll man. Try to do it with my bow and cans. There's places. I mean, you can antelope hunt anywhere out west, and it's different because you can hunt them over water. The problem is with Western Kansas is yeah, it's arid, but we still get enough rain, and there's still enough water sources that you can't like just hone in on hunting them over water. So, so it just kind of limits what you're able to do. Um, I only really hunt them in Kansas with a muzzleloader now, and it's kind of a cheat code. Like it's not hard. It's fi- finding a goat. 
that's like a good goat in Kansas is the hard part because there's just not a lot yeah. of them. Like statistically, there's anywhere between like two and three thousand antelope in Kansas. And so it's in a pretty it's small pretty rare, area. Yeah. Just I mean, the farmers hate them, so you can get permission to hunt them basically everywhere, but it's just finding a good goat is the hard part. Yeah. They're beautiful animals though. Their coats they're are cool. so they're pretty, so but weird. they're just different. They're it actually is. They're delicious too. They smell bad, but once you cook them up, they're pretty good. Dude, they are stinky. They're stinky like your fuck your ass after a, hunting all day. After bird hunting all day. Hind legs that like emits a really just I don't even know how to explain it. It's different than any it's like a tarsal gland on a white tail, but it's it's different. It's they, got a they, unique they smell, smell though. Yeah, they smell bad. They're so weird, dude. Yeah. Their hair is hollow where if you drag them, every hair on the body will rip out right away. They're just weird, dude. They're the only yeah. animal that sheds its their horn every year. I guess they're weird. Their horns know. are also made out of their just hairs. Yeah, it's just, just hairs. hairs. Yeah, it's like a rhino horn. It's just like a rhino horn or anything like that, but they shed it. So it's like a sheath. And then under that's the it's weird. It's weird. They're yeah. The yeah. They have like the little nubs sort of. And then the horn yeah. just kind of like sits on top of their nubs yep. and it just falls off. It's wild. It's weird it's crazy nothing else that does it it's crazy what do you think what do you think uh is like the biggest mistake that generally people who are just novice deer hunters make oh man just i get maybe that's too broad of a question spending Um, too much time not scouting i mean that's at least for my area like if you have access it's just not scouting like just not putting the time in beforehand like that that's 90% of it. And then probably just like that that's a tough question. I would say like a novice guy like just getting into hunting is like spend more time scouting and getting access to a good farm than just hunting. Like that's part of being a good hunter and being good at deer hunting is going where the animals are at. Good hunting spots. Like that's yeah, that's the part that people forget. It's like, okay, if you want to be a good hunter, it's not just killing being good at killing deer. Like you gotta be good at getting be able to hunt where there's deer and big deer and that's that's a huge part of the game so I, I would say like just scouting and finding a good spot to hunt and then after that i mean if you're proficient with your weapon it's just time just and that all goes back into scouting it's all just time spent you got to be able to allocate time and it's yeah. one of the reasons why i, I don't want to downplay it. like one of the reasons i was wildly successful at deer hunting especially when i was in college and even now with my career that i have now I'm able to allocate a lot of time and yeah. resources to deer hunting. And that that's a big part of why I'm successful. But a lot of the deer, every 200 inch deer I've killed has been on properties that anybody could hunt. That's one weird, right. that's one crazy statistic. I've killed a lot of big bucks on farms that, you know, we own and lease, but all the 200 inch deer I've shot have been on just random. Hey, can I hunt? Sure. Go ahead. Spots. And I'm dead serious. A lot of people don't ask anymore, though. Realize that, but it's good. That's all time and effort. Like that's all, and that's all goes into scouting. Whether it's scouting on Onyx, scouting, driving around, calling people, sending letters. That's like if you're gonna spend a bunch of time doing something, that's that's when you're gonna kill big deer. Is yeah, for sure. In access, for sure. Most but it's just like go spend a bunch of time hitting random walking spots, and yeah, you might luck into a big deer. But to consistently kill big deer. The name of the game is like access to spots that produce big deer and knowing where they're yeah. at and find them. You, you just, yeah. you got to hold on. For myself too, in Hayes, where um, 
I was just hunting publicly and most of the time if I wasn't with you or, you know, something like that. So I would drive around a lot. And while I was hunting, there was not a second that my eyes were not peeled to the side of the road trying to find birds. Oh, yeah, you're trying dude, to see hard. just signs. That's just what it's about. You just have to find the land. You have to go out of your way, like I did with the Buckeye patch, even, and just and make how, the call. I am. Like, Shoot your that's shot. Something like that, like hardwired, hardwired in my brain is like when I drive around, it's like, oh, dude, I bet that's good for deer. Just like everything I'm always looking. When I'm driving to Kansas City, like on the highway, just like looking at farms on the road, it's like, oh, dude, I bet like if I hunted that, I'd set it up here. I'd do this to that farm. I'd do that to that farm. And then that's like changed into my profession now. It's like, oh, dude, I could sell the crap out of that farm. I bet there's big deer in there. Like, look, that's just, <laughs> I'm like never not looking at, at land from the lens of a deer hunter and a land real estate agent. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of fun. That's why I like drive around constantly. But it's perfect like, because with your background. On X all day long. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. Dude, badass. Yeah. And with your background though, of like you said, managing game property, it helps that you know all of the, all of the right criteria that you're looking for in land. So, um, if you're somebody who's interested in buying um, hunting land specifically for deer, what are you looking for? Uh, well, I mean, I service clients mostly in like the western half of Kansas. Um, if if you're wanting to buy, if you're willing to spend the money on a strictly deer hunting farm, it's got to have established cover. And in this part of Kansas, that could be a large track of native grass, like large track of CRP, large track of like hilled grassland that's not grazed. And then it's got to have food like that. That's what I would look at. And you're not going to hold deer in this part of the state on a quarter section of ground. You're not even going to hold deer constantly on a half section, which is 320 acres. So you got to buy in a region, too, because your deer are going to move. You're not like you could have a big buck on your farm, but he's not going to spend a hundred percent of his time on your farm. Right. So, and that all goes into the cover. And the more cover you have, the more food you have, the less of a reason that buck has to leave, but they're still going to leave just because they're deer. Like they don't just right. stand or they like to breed in different areas. Like it's just, so you want to look at a region that one produces big deer and the farm's got to have enough cover and enough food to at least most of the time hold the deer in that region on your property yeah so a lot of it's just kind of <clears throat> and that goes into budget man i mean that just right. goes. Into... i mean there's plenty of farms like if a guy doesn't have a big budget can't afford a big track of ground you got to buy a farm that's in a region with really good a lot of, deer, a lot of big yeah. bucks and just like you're not going to consistently hold big deer but you're in a spot where like any day that you're in a tree stand you might kill a big deer and that's what you can afford and that's how you have to manage the farm too you're going to manage an 80 or 160 acres that has decent cover, decent food differently than you're going to manage a full section or plus, you know, up to say a thousand acres. Yeah. Different. Yeah. Like it's just different. Your hey, expectations are different. Your, but, your expectations are just different. Right. Right. Like but I, I hunt and manage our big farms. Like two years ago, we bought a 1200 acre ranch in Osborne County, Kansas. And mm-hmm. it's like, literally to a t it's like 95 percent of it is just cover like gnarly nasty canyons hills it's nuts we manage that farm substantially significantly differently than we manage like a quarter section that we own that's like half cover half food like what do you mean by that what like in what ways like the standards to which we like how we expect like what we expect out of the deer on it too like 
if we have a 180 inch four and a half year old on this small farm, we're probably gonna hunt him and kill him, you know, or at least we're gonna try to. Whether whether that's me trying to kill him, my dad, Wyatt, somebody else on that 1200 acre ranch, if we have a 180 inch four year old, we're not gonna kill him because he's probably mm. very rarely leaving that farm and the odds of him getting killed are substantially smaller than what they are on that deer that's on that because on that 160 he's only got to walk a quarter mile and he's on somebody else's property right and likely somebody right. else hunting but on 1200 that, acres oh, there's a higher chance that he's going to stay there yeah. so by yeah. not putting any pressure on him at all there's I mean, just different it just things makes sense like he can do a lot more to a 1200 acre farm from like a conservation management cameras feeders everything standpoint than you can a smaller farm it just, absolutely it's just yeah it's yeah different. it is it is it is and i mean that that makes total sense to you know like you said if you don't put any pressure no on that deer it's like, just it's no same process yeah basically look at it as if you had a 640 acres of crp that has a bunch of pheasants in it you're going to hunt that differently than if you have an 80 acre track that's got decent birds in it you're not right. going to go into that 80 every single day and slaughter the pheasants until there's not a pheasant on it, you know? Right. Right. And so okay. you're not going to go in on a giant, on a giant farm, go in and kill, you can kill more birds, you know, but you're, yeah. you're also not going to have the whole farm the whole day, you know, every day it's just different. It is. Your, yeah. your perspective is different. Like your management goals, like the management goals that we set in place are different. Right. So what, so now with hunting stuff, are you doing stuff? officially with heartland bowhunter or not we filmed all last year um chandler filmed me for probably i mean collectively probably 30 days last year like between three or four different trips i'm sure we'll probably we own that 1200 acre farm we own with the luckles which sean's you know one of the co-founders of hb so we'll do a lot of filming on stuff like that my accident kind of uh put that to an end at the end of deer season so i wasn't able to finish out the deer season um but we'll get into it again next year so yeah i think we're pretty yeah. much set filming uh if we ever do get hit stick dead on camera that'll be a pretty crazy episode um last year big sauce the buck i killed last year big sauce that's like one of the episodes on this previous year of hb's season yeah yeah heartland bowhunter by the way is uh um predominantly a filming like a, a video yeah, hunting hunting show camera. media yeah they're immersed in the outdoor industry in a lot of a lot of different ways. Um, they yeah. produce several shows outside of their own. They produce four shows of their own. Um, they do just a lot of stuff on YouTube now. They're getting a lot more immersed in YouTube. A lot of like promoting, like promotional marketing you see for a lot of outdoor branding is done by Heartland Bowhunter. Um, just they just do photography and videography at a whole different level than what's. They're very good. And they're. Yeah. That, that's what they take pride in is literally doing like the cinematics and photography and everything that they do is to the nth degree of what's standard in the outdoor industry. And you can, you can see it today. Like a lot of the other shows are like trying to chase that, but they just have the bar set so high. Um, mm. There's sister companies with my brokerage. Basically they do a lot of the same, a lot of the same guys that are with Midwest Land Group or with HB and, vice versa and they do a lot of the marketing and stuff for us and it's just the same just trying to set like the highest standard in the industry is basically the goal yeah 
What is that? Kind of what is that entitled? What is that entitled for you then? Um, in terms of your work with them, because you've already had actually today I looked up on YouTube, you can find it on YouTube, the episode where you hunt big sauce, you know, mm-hmm. which is just a name for a deer, by the way, for yeah, everybody. That's kind of how we like doesn't know. Coordinate them and like characterize them and keep track way, of yeah. them basically over years. It's like, oh, big, it's more of like a tool to use when you're like conversing and referring to a specific animal. It just easier. Kind of it's a, it's a lot easier to just outside say of the it. whitetail world. It's like oh, they name them before they kill them. Like I see where that's weird, but it's like it's better than being like oh, that one buck in that one farm in that one area. It's better to just be like hey, I'm gonna go hunt big sauce tonight. It's like okay, right? Oh, big sauce. Cool. Yeah, it's just a communication yeah. thing. Like oh, hey, I shot big sauce. Oh, cool. I know exactly what deer shot. Yeah, and it's but just, that that video is on YouTube, and that's kind of crazy. That situation too, where yeah, you. You're in a Milo Milo field and you shoo its muzzleloader, right? Mm-hmm. You shoo, you see him run off, and you're like, "Gosh, dang it! Ever. I think that has I never missed. happened. Like, to me. That has never happened to me before. At that point, that shot, I'm only 20 yards away. That's like, insane. That's insane. Based on like the angles of the camera, because Sean was actually further behind us filming too, and then Chandler was right over my shoulder, so kind of hard to tell. So you were only 20 yards away. Happened. When I missed him, I was 20 yards away. When I killed him, I was 16. Wait, I'm yeah. confused because on the video, you shoot. I, I, yeah, and then I, I had to shoot him again. That we didn't get. Oh, on camera. oh okay, yeah, 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 yeah. To, to finish him, yeah. Yep. Okay, so that that was your first that was your first debut though with Heartland Bowhunter, which was kind of funny to watch you. Yeah, like me hunting like, in front of the camera. That's just yeah. because I've seen it in person. I've hunted with you a lot, and then you're on camera. I'm high energy like that. That that's like a hard thing for me to like transition into. Is like, like the I don't know what the tunnel vision. You're, that you're I like me. You're like me though, and that's where like we would go hunting, and at times there wouldn't be a word said for like an hour because we're both just head. like we're like we're both just like locked in, like thinking about. I, I'm like in y- your passenger seat, just kind of along for the ride. I don't know exactly where we're going or where we might end up, but I'm like, we're going to be put in front of, if I'm with Cole, chances are I'm going to be put in front of birds or a deer or a turkey or whatever. That was like so one I of was always filming was like, yeah. how would this like also be like personable for a camera and like talk to the camera and stuff? It's like hard for me. <laughs> uh, like but it, like, it is awkward um, to talk for yeah it's a whole other like level of difficulty too especially bow hunting yeah. for a white like it is people will talk about how hard it is to film deer hunts especially to the level that art and bow hunter does until you actually do it dude it is it is hard but, it is you got to catch everything in the perfect angle and a lot of times in nature in deer hunting in pheasant hunting quail hunting nothing's perfect nothing ever works exactly. out the way you want it to just like the carrying and using of the equipment that's necessary to is just like it's one thing just to walk into one tree stand one blind with one bow climb in and kill deer it's a whole another thing for two guys to climb into two stands with two cameras a bow a giant backpack all this like it's it's freaking nuts it's yeah tough. that's a lot going it's, it's a still lot going deer. on and still kill deer on camera in like the quality deer quality like yeah quality deer with quality photography and videography like that's like i meant yeah difficult yeah Crazy. i met sean and chandler the one time out at your cabin and both of those guys were great dudes super nice oh, super 
super personable. Okay. I've only met them on a limited amount, but oh, they, they both they did. Babies. Yeah, Chandler's a new dad. That's exciting. That's and exciting. Little girl, little girl. I just had her in December. I actually randomly have him on Snapchat. I think yeah, still. So I, occasionally I'll just like slide in if I see like a post of you or like they're out doing something. <clears throat> but that's a that's a really cool party. organization. Um, and that's cool that you're able to be a part of it. Honestly, that's probably kind of like a little dream come true. Yeah, like Midwest Land Group, Heartland Bowhunter, hunting, all that stuff just kind of cohesively fit together. Um, not what I went to school for, just kind of got started into it. I mean, me and Sean Larry just started hunting together because we just started talking on Instagram and then he just came and shot it. Yeah. Like, this is good yeah. buddies now. And yeah, like, like I said, now we own farms together and stuff and we've hunted all over the you know, Midwest, a few states. I'm sure we'll hunt some more states, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Are you, uh, are you ever, are you, do you have any plans in the future of like a crazy hunt that you're going to go on? Dude, if I don't draw an elk tag this year, I will buy an elk tag. I haven't drawn the last two years. I took my dad last year just as like a father's day kind of thank you. I do a lot of business with my dad. Um, but I haven't shot an elk myself in like three or four years and it's been three or four years too long. I definitely want to go black bear hunting again. Uh, we were going to this year, but. Um, that accident we got into just kind of put all that stuff on the back burner. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely still want to go. I want to go back to Montana at some point. Um, Dude, Montana was such a crazy trip for everybody. Sure. We, we took just a trip. Dream. We had no idea what we were doing. We went way too early. Oh man. That was, but that was like kind of the fun about it too. Was it just, it, it was just wild. It was a wild trip. Of hunting and doing it yourself is the first time you go. You're just not, you're probably not going to, like it's just learning as you go like you're gonna fail so much before you have find success doing that stuff oh us young lads cold says hey everybody i couldn't do that today dude. i i could not i could not do that today 24 hour yeah. drive to montana i drove 10 hours to madison wisconsin this week straight that was impressive i was surprised that is but i don't think it's a long time all night 27 hours in the blizzard up to kalispell montana again that was brutal Brutal, but that is a trip I'll never forget for a lot of reasons. Um, whether time, it was next time we're going in June though, or late May, not April. April we when got it's caught freezing and raining. Snow. We got caught by a snowstorm, ruined it. It was still, still fun though. No, we kidding. had a lot of personalities on that trip. A lot of different personalities, that's for sure. Ultimate Bros trip to Montana. That, yep, where we visited, we saw crystal clear, crystal clear lakes. We saw snow covered roads in the mountain with no cell phone service at 3 a.m. That's my favorite we part. Saw, I love we that saw place. wolves. Well, didn't see wolves, heard wolves right by our camp. Um, we saw a, mu- a moose. We saw Yellowstone. We saw we an ER room. Is that our way to go through Yellowstone and half the park is closed? <laughs> no shit. No shit. We saw an ER room with Delzite and his finger. I didn't. I didn't go there. Well, we we saw the outside of the hospital. We didn't go in I and was, support our I boy. I was but... incapacitated in the motel room. Oh, so, man. What a crazy trip. What a crazy trip. But it we was good times. We go up there again, but we need to be more successful and have it planned out better. Yeah, yeah. That Instead of just so like, yeah, hey, we'll go sit on the hill for a little bit. We're not all college kids anymore. I don't think we, we could survive that trip again. No shit. Okay, I'd be broken. 
I'd, I may not come back if I win again, to be honest. I, dude, I love that part of the country. I definitely plan on getting up there again as soon as I can. I love it. Up yeah, there. for sure. But that's the great thing about hunting. And that's why I invited you on to talk about hunting is because you had a very large role to play in my young adult life of hunting and bird hunting and stuff. And so I was always very thankful that I had a place to go to, to be able to hunt with you um, and to take my dad to as well, just to get him back involved in everything. And just the experiences that we've had through hunting, I think we both can agree are just invaluable. You know, there are things oh, yeah. that I'm sure there's more that I've forgotten than what I give myself credit for. But yeah, some of your best memories are definitely those. Like when school would get canceled because the snow was too deep, but we'd go out driving around and shooting pheasants. That's that was about pretty, pretty characteristic. Yeah, man. And it's just you learn so much more than just hunting. You learn yeah. life lessons. You learn it, it. I mean, we could we could sit here and talk for hours for all oh, yeah. about all the shit we've learned hunt, about hunting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just need to you need to hurry up and get done with school so you can get back into it some more. So I can get some money and then get back. Yeah, get me well, a farm. you gotta get your money right. You gotta get your money right so you can get back out here. Get got to get my checkbook in order. Yeah, so hurry up and finish law school and get your couple years of paying your dues done and then get back into it. No shit, man. Well, um, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, um, anytime, man. Well, that's that's the thing too. You know, don't be worried about anything you miss because you're going to be back on. We'll we'll talk yeah, another for time sure. for sure, yeah. and you hopefully in person because that's way more fun. We got to just meet up sometime. Dude, I'm in Kansas City all the time. It's not that hard. I just need to come. Yeah, yeah. You're the one. You got school, man. I my schedule is pretty fluid. I can make things work most of the time. All right, well, come over here and we'll bird hunt on some public Missouri ground. <laughs> Sounds like so much fun. Basically, we'll walk through the field and stare at the if sky. Anything, I'd, come, I'd come turkey hunt. I don't think I'd come bird. I don't think I'd come bird hunt either. No, bird hunting would be a complete waste of time. But we could just maybe we can around. maybe we can find somewhere to shoot some ducks or something. Maybe somewhere. maybe I'll just say you're a client and we'll go we'll go look at some farms. Ooh, yeah, some good some good private farms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't do that. Don't I don't condone that. Don't condone that. But hey, that. uh, we'll talk about that later though, by the way. All right. Well no, I'm joking. All right. Well, well thanks for uh, having me, man. Take her easy. Yeah, one second. Yep. <laughs>